to Mechanical Freak. Me and Brian are on the boat. <laughs> Munya is enjoying his day. <laughs> because, uh, once again, we just can't get our shit together, technically. Yeah, me and Greg, we've been busy all week. Um, we're doing a woke rewrite of Moby Dick. Uh, bringing it up to the modern day era. It's about a podcaster who's trying to hunt down reliable internet <laughs> just anywhere. Yeah, though, <laughs> in the interest of wokeness, we will preserve all of the whaling minutiae. <laughs> exactly. That's the, that's the one thing that remains. Yeah, the cultural appropriation, like, you know, like a, a white man writing about like a Maori guy, like that's mm -hmm. not, that's out. But the, the, the whale, the whale facts, the whale facts. Stay they stay. On. Yeah. We've also uh, added 400 additional pages uh, discussing microphones. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real, uh, that's our white whale. Uh, fucking aggregate devices, just inter internet connectivity in a marina. Someone's running their fucking uh, radar. I know that's mm -hmm. what it is. Someone's got their radar spinning and it's just killing all Wi-Fi. The man's got us down. Stressing like, me out. We've been saying that there's no downside to living on a boat, and it turns out we've been lying. Uh, if somebody's running your radar, you can't pod. Yeah, that's the downside. Um, <laughs> gosh, you know, I, it was stressing me out. I already started. I was started out uh, today, uh, this week, pretty stressed out. I, I, you know, funny enough though, I have. Um, I've been saying for a long time I should do this, Brian, but I'm finally. Uh, trying to figure out, like, dip my toe, get into meditation, you know, for for my stress levels, for my, you know, mental health, like, you know, or just some breathing practice, whatever, trying to figure out what that is, like, you know. And as I look into, like, the, the research and, like, you know, what people have to say about it, like, and what, like, you know, what different sort of uh, practices, whether it's breathing or meditation or whatever, can do for you for different reasons and, like, what you're trying to achieve. And, like, you know, what comes up is that, you know, historically, like, a lot of uh, traditional meditation, a lot of practice, like, is devoted in one way or another to, you know, what is often described as opening your third eye, okay? <laughs> right? And at, the thing is, as I look into it and figure this out, you know, as people sort of break this down as like, well, what are your goals? Like, what are you trying to do? Like, who are you? How are you coming into this practice? Brian, I'm realizing mine's been stuck open. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you need to close your third eye. Maybe That's that would it. Help. That's it. That's what I need, man. Mine's been open all this time. My, my third eye, there's a foot. The, the draft is coming in. Mm -hmm. Like the street light is like blinding me through my third eye in my sleep. Like, it's been stuck open. Yeah, no, mm -hmm. i got to close that shit. Yeah. So that's what I'm working on. Yeah, you know, when uh, some goofus on the internet posts that old picture for the thousandth time of Bill Gates waiting in line at Dick's, I don't want to immediately think, wow, he must be waiting for school to get out. You know, that's <laughs> not making my life better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, could it be the source of my power? Possibly, but you know, maybe if I could, you know, learn to to control it and harness it better, mm -hmm. you know, turn it off sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, like a Superman two, and he Clark Kent learns the sweet relief of being able to just hang out at a diner as a regular guy. Maybe even get punched a few times. Yeah, you know? yeah. You just got to turn it off sometimes, and and be ready to s flip it back open, open those blinds, uh, take off those shades. Uh, <laughs> You know, for podcasting. Well, luckily today, it's like when Cyclops takes off his glasses. Mm -hmm. I want that to be me, like when it's time to to pod. You yeah. know, and just like a beam out comes out of my forehead, direct <laughs> to you, the listener. Well, today we have some very relaxing local news stories that will not require a third eye. Everything is as meets the eye. It's all just right there. Uh, nothing, no, no, nothing no, no, to complain no. about. We're Brian, just here to I'm read. using my third eye. <laughs> I am using my, maybe not on this first one. There's not really that much to like perceive this first, this first bit here. But um, I right, might as well get into it then. So the Seattle Times just has a little advice for the, for the city council on a very important issue. Um, they don't mince words. Uh, reject proposed $10 late fee 
for Seattle renters. I agree. There should I agree. I would also <laughs> reject a $10 late fee for Seattle renters. I'm with the Seattle Times op uh who is this? Is this yeah, this is the that editorial, editorial board. board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I reject late fees. Agreed. Agreed. Why would someone propose a $10 late fee? That's fucking sucks. No. No, get rid of it. I was I was just excited because I was like, damn, are the Seattle Times renting that space? Like, I was just like, hello, fellow renter. Wow, like, solidarity. Yeah. Would come uh, join the the tenants union. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So this is the Seattle Times Ed Board's, uh, uh, you know, first time speaking at the 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 meeting of the tenants union. Here they are. <laughs> Seattle City. The Seattle City Council has proposed. Capping late fees for renters at $10 a month. Oh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't actually take a third eye to figure this one out. <laughs> what they mean by Seattle City Council is Shama Sawant. Yeah. Uh, proposed capping late fees for renters at $10 a month. And, I, you know, it's interesting that they feel the need to write this op-ed. Um, and I can only imagine that that's because this idea would be broadly very popular with just about everyone who, yeah. who rents in Seattle. Um, this approach could hurt landlords. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, that's, that's like a, you know, that's a sell, uh, like a seller door phrase hurt <laughs> landlords. I well, just like to say it. I think you would have like a greater actual impact getting this passed by leading with it hurts landlords. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, with one or two rental unions, uh, this, this approach would hurt landlords with one or two rental units, units and do little, if anything, to help renters. Our poor well, small bean landlord. This is, that's, this is so key. Like, first of all, of course, every, you always have to invoke the, the, you know, grandma, grandma mm -hmm. landlady, um, you know, who is a multimillionaire. Yeah. Um, and I don't care yeah, about yeah. him, but also the, um, how, how could how could this help? I mean, how expensive are late fees? Like, uh, like how much could like capping it at ten dollars? Well, well, if it if it's gonna hurt the multi-million multi-millionaire landowner who is parasitically uh, making the renter like pay for their life as well as their own, right? Mm -hmm. If it's gonna hurt them, if it's enough money to hurt that rich person. That rich parasite, it's too much money. Then it, you can be damn sure it's not great for the poors who are, uh, you know, living with a parasite, like sucking their blood. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, fuck you. What a fu what fucking just like illogical nonsense. Like money's money. Fuck you. Yeah. Like, what, what kind of, but like that. What well, the fuck? How could it hurt one and not the other? Fucking jerk off. Yeah, the funny thing about it not helping the renters, and they have an interesting gambit later about why that's the case. But the thing is, is this about incentive and like? Uh, oh no, it's it's better than that. But the thing is, is that um, hazard. The the whole like fee structure of these things, you know, it's it's the whole thing where the banks were making more money collecting like fees. Yeah, or anything yeah. else. Whereas if you don't have money and they charge you a fee for it. Uh, it just makes you not having money worse, right? Yeah. And for a renter, it's like capping it at ten dollars. That'd be you know every rental contract I've ever had the late fee is twenty five dollars, right? So shit, mine's fifty here. I never pay it. Yeah, and I think the idea is creating some sort of rule here, yeah. you know, and then making that rule reasonable so that landlords aren't just trying to profit off of also late intelligible fees. and flat would be yeah. nice, so that you actually know what your rights are. But anyway. <laughs> <sighs> okay, the, the plan would essentially dangle a, a life vest in front of renters, wouldn't want to do that, who are financially <laughs> treading water. I mean, the yeah. catch is this $10 life vest is full of holes. Okay, so they're going to they're gonna propose a bigger, better life vest. Yeah, I yeah. Take it, right? <laughs> yeah, like, let's, let's hear about the holes, Seattle yeah, Times. Yeah, a, a perhaps a lifeboat? That, it's like, uh, I mean, it, it seems pretty simplistic, the whole idea. So, like, I agree that if somebody's late paying rent, they shouldn't pay any fee at all. Yeah. Like, the money actually is a problem. Maybe we should just write off the month entirely. Yeah. Right? And, hey, why stop uh, there? I mean, the rent is really the problem. Yeah, yeah. Right, just, you know? Yeah, I'll just get rid of the rent altogether. A better, I don't think that's where we're going, right? <laughs> a better solution would be to create a cap that is fair to all. A cap based on a small percentage of a tenant's rent between one to three percent, 
would serve as an incentive for renters to pay on time, yet not gouge those who are struggling to pay on time. I mean, any a dollar is gouging them. Yeah. So fuck you. Um, and one to three percent could be a lot. Like, well, it seems like this uh, more than $10. solution to help everyone out for the Seattle Times uh, that they came up with uh, mainly helps the landlord out. Yeah. I gotta say, this, this solution compared to the one that uh, Shama Swan has suggested seems to solely help the landlords, whereas the one Swan has suggested uh, at least gives the tenants a little something in that it's capped at least, you know, capped and low. Yeah, and intelligible. Like, you just yeah. know what it is, you know? Uh, Kenmore and Redmond have capped it at 1.5%. Some lawmakers attempted to create a statewide cap of $75, uh, but failed in the, in, the, in the state legislature. Uh, in Seattle, the proposed late fee cap floated by Shama Sawant uh, benefits the wealthier renter. <laughs> Council members love to toss about the word equity, but there is no equity in a scenario where a renter of a swanky $3,000, you got to be fucking kidding me, $3,000 apartment pays the same late fee as someone struggling to pay $900 for a studio apartment. What do you think the Seattle Times would say, that editorial board would say, if you propose the same construct here, moral construct, regarding something like traffic tickets. Yeah. If you said the cost of a speeding ticket should be relative to your income. And so if uh, a rich person gets caught speeding, it should be like $50 million. <laughs> if a poor person gets caught speeding, it should be like a coupon to Kohl's. <laughs> you know, like, what do you think the Seattle Times response to that be or here's a good one what if we base things like loitering fines based off the income of the person you've given the ticket to so when you go to give like a loitering fine to a homeless person it's actually like negative dollars so like actually you according to your income the city actually <laughs> owes you some money so yeah there you go. that sounds about right you know I'm, I'm sure I, the Times would be very enthusiastic no I like the Times uh, plan to soak the rich here on late fees <laughs> that they're not paying anyway they're not fucking paying those but also $900 yeah. first of all $900 for a studio apartment that doesn't exist in this town well Greg Secondly, if you paid 3% on nine, that's $27. Yeah. Or the one and a half percent that they suggested all the suburbs shows is still more than $10. Yes. This person's still benefiting from a $10 cap. Now, Greg, I had the exact same response when I read this, which was, where in Seattle are you getting an apartment for $900? So, of course, I immediately went to apartments.com and searched it, put in the, the money criteria, $900 limit, right? It brought up like, 15 places. Almost all of them had uh, the appendage to it senior living facilities. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think I can choose that. So I, I don't know. You know, dye your beard gray. Like, well, I'm getting there, gray. I'm like, I'm almost to the senior living facility. I'm getting there day by day. <laughs> but um, I, I was, I did see a, a park. It was like a, a mobile home park that was for seniors. And I looked at the age they accepted, and I was like, I'm really not that far away. Like, maybe I should start anticipating, maybe getting some land set aside. Nice, nice. But, um, but yeah, so, but I did find one that was for uh, regular people under the age of, you know, 55, right? And uh, it's called the 1806 building. It's right there at Madison and 23rd Avenue. Uh, it is listed like all of the apartments if you put $900 as your cap. Uh, it's listed the same way as all of them, which is says eight ninety nine to eleven sixty nine. So I'm gonna guess that nine hundred dollars <laughs> is not gonna be what I'm gonna pay. But uh -huh. um, it is. Uh, Greg, you want to guess on the square the square footage on this one? Ooh. It's one of my favorite games. Um, How big is the apartment relative to the price? I'm I'm not I'm not really a real estate like I don't really like Zillow for fun. So like I don't know. I mean like something. What what I mean. What do, you, what do you say the square footage of the boat is? Like walkable square footage, like 200 square feet? <laughs> the square footage of your boat, yeah, probably. Yeah, in that range. all no. of the furniture? It's got to be more, right? I don't know. If you have the furniture, it's probably 200 square feet, yeah. Mm, okay. That's pretty small. Like my house is 950. Okay. To give you an idea. Yeah, okay. All right, yeah. So the square footage of a unit at 1806 is... 190 to 193. Wow. <laughs> I guess that's the difference between the like $900 unit and the $1,200 unit is that three extra square feet mm -hmm, that you get. Mm -hmm. um, that is a fucking closet. Now, 
I've been watching a lot of tiny house hunters where people are just literally buying sheds on wheels. And most of the sheds they're buying are larger than this. I mean, this is a fucking closet. Well, let me describe it to you. Eight, this is their description here. 1806 23rd is a minimalist dream. We have studios and lofts <laughs> available. All apartments feature a mini refrigerator, microwave, and built-in armoire. I saw the armoire. It's just literally like hooks on the wall for hanging your jacket, which is, by the way, not an armoire. But uh, And by lofts, what they mean is that weird thing where they build like a little loft like over the kitchen that you can put a bed in. And then there's like a foot and a half of space between the bed and the ceiling just in case you want to know what it's like to be buried alive just every <laughs> night. <laughs> oh, my God. This is grim Jesus. shit. It's, by the way, income capped as well, which is, for any apartment in Seattle under $2,000, pretty yeah. much it's going to be an income cap. Uh, 58008 right? So, essentially, if you're almost making $60,000 in this city, you too can live in this closet with a coffin bed. <laughs> so. Repulsive. Pretty sweet. Uh Hopefully we can get that rent cap for that guy, though. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Uh, well, that fucking sucks. And what, you know, so the council actually, you know, uh, they attacked a, you know, I guess yesterday, it was Friday, whatever, Thursday maybe. They, um, yeah, you know, yesterday I think they, so who was it? It was um, Nelson, Lewis, and Juarez uh, voted in committee on an amendment to set the a percent cap of one point five percent and a cap of with a max of fifty dollars. Oh well. <laughs> so those so so the millionaires you know won't be paying the any more than fifty dollars. Thank God. But you know <laughs> everybody else paying their yeah. Know, this is somehow the worst of both worlds. Interestingly. <laughs> Incredible. Um. So well, and then they I guess they actually vote on the thing next week. But it sounds like uh, that was like you know. That got out of committee, so you got to figure that's going to have that be how that turns out. Go yeah. with the Seattle Times plan here. Yeah, yeah. And if you're, you know, a putz like Andrew Lewis, I mean, how pathetic, right? The Seattle Times puts an editorial, and then what you suggest is like exactly the Seattle Times editorial. Like, come on, that's what it's there for. Pathetic. I mean, it's. I mean, you know, like it's such fucking it's such a fucking small potatoes for the landlords. Like, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a like you could have like a a little win you know a little like look i actually did a cool thing and we did but they can't it, it is like a political like you can't mm-hmm. you have to sh- they have to demonstrate that they are on the side of real estate because that's what the job of local government is right yeah but even for the landlords themselves right we're not talking huge sums of money as far as your fee collection right uh, but they're just so grasping. Like it's just like every, yeah. every I got to get every fucking penny. You well, know, I mean, I want every penny owed. They're to me, parasites. Right? Like that's yeah, the whole logic of yeah. rent seeking. But it's you, just you, yeah, it's just this like fascinating thing uh, to see play out. And the thing is, if they haven't paid rent, um, because they don't have the money, you're also not getting the fee. So you know, there's that too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would be curious. I mean, if anybody knows, I should mention the Discord. I'd be curious if uh, this facilitates eviction, like if that's the actual thing that we're talking about. Is it, again, like we mentioned earlier, if you rack up like a certain amount of fees, like if, the, if you can get the dollar value to a certain amount, will it facilitate early eviction? Yeah, or is it like you know, by if there's less, you know, I guess you got to figure like the. I think they figure in the mind of the pores, right? Mm-hmm. That they're, we're all just shiftless, right? And like trying to steal <laughs> from them. Yeah, we're all trying to get something for free, not like the landlord who collects rents. For or tra- trying to use the, you know, your landlord as an interest-free lender by being late on your rent, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to like hold you over or something. And so they think of the, the late fee as like the, as a real incentive to pay on time because Mm-hmm. And you don't have the, then it's cheaper. Your rent's cheaper. Whereas if you pay late, it's more expensive. And it's like, it shit doesn't enter into it because, like, if you're not paying your rent, it's because you're fucking broke. Yeah. You know? Well, nobody, the vast majority of people are renting, their finances are not that complex, right? Yeah. Where they're making those kind of calculations. It's uh, really the finances are much more dire than complex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh. Yes. Yeah, this is bullshit. Oh. Glad to see the city uh, focusing on what's important here, you know, 
getting it done, as they say. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sale Times editorial board, don't worry, she'll be gone soon. Okay, you guys can all <laughs> breathe easy, take a little break. Seriously. Um, all right. Well, we're going national now, but we're staying in the Seattle Times, and uh, we're going to hear from uh, a public figure with a real vision, a real uh, pitch for America going mm-hmm. forward, and that is our Congressperson Pramila Jayapal. Yeah, it's, it's it's rare in this like modern era where I mean politics have been so one track for fifty years, you know. Everything's just the illusion of choice, etc. It's rare to get somebody who's like, no, I want to break away. I want to be an iconoclast. I want to get out there and really uh, set myself apart and set my political program apart from the status quo. And uh, Pramila, she's here. You know, she's here for it. And Pramila's got a real interesting way of doing that. Um, interesting is a word. Baffling might be another. Um <laughs> Trying to set apart from the status quo by insisting that there is a status quo that exists that um, is a that has like a, a radical program and that is um, uh, like identifiable and uh, has a name and she gives it a name. Okay, so this is Pramila Jayapal in the Times. Uh, the headline they gave her is Bidenomics. Policies that lift up all Americans. And there it is right there. That is the... I'm listening. The unifying radical politics that brings uh, both sort of a, you know, a revolutionary future future and a, uh, a status quo of, you know, democratic uh, control, like, all together in one package that totally makes sense. <laughs> uh... This is how she begins. <clears throat> As if uh, writing a like junior high essay, Democrats have many sizable, popular accomplishments to tout and share with voters. <laughs> M dash, which is what you want to say when that's true. <laughs> everything from okay, I mean, just like just like that is like that. You have to say that. No, no, no. There are many things to tout and share. Well, those are different. I don't know. Uh, You've probably uh, forgotten all the things we've done that you love so much. Yeah, uh, they're both sizable and popular, and they are accomplishments. Um, and now I guess she's going to rattle out a few. You know, everything from protecting marriage equality uh, to mm. passing the first major gun safety bill in 30 years. Um, I you all remember that happening, I, right? I guess that I guess that did happen. I don't think it, it's that meaningful. I'm just glad that the last school shootings finally happened. <laughs> never, we're never going to get another one. So I, I'm just proud. I'm happy of that. Yeah. Protecting marriage equality is a really funny thing. Yeah, I know. When like to to and it's when does it's anybody like, believe that's going in the right direction? Right. Like first of all, Democrats <laughs> haven't really done anything. anything on that nationally. Like, Ever. Ever. The Supreme Court like, were the ones who fucking, you know, got gay marriage pushed through. Like, the, the Democrats didn't do that. And then at, at this time when, I mean, like, the, the glaring thing, the the massive elephant that is crushing her to death here mm. is the repeal of Roe v. Wade and the just nightmarish, yeah. like, tidal wave of... uh of, you know, people's rights being taken away in half the country. And, like, that is... You know, people are people are being prosecuted. Uh, doctors uh, uh, for you know uh, uh, pregnancy care and such are being like driven out of whole states. Like this is this this yeah. incredible nightmare that literally doesn't come up in this article. And it's like, yeah. oh, but we've con- we conti- we've continued to maintain the status quo on marriage equality. That thing <laughs> that the Supreme Court did uh, over a decade well, ago. You know, yeah. if she'd written this like a year ago, right? You know, she would have said, uh, or I guess a year and a half ago, 
we've continued to maintain the status quo on Roe v. Wade, protecting women's right to choose. But yeah. of course, that's they've since completely failed at that. So that's out. And maybe in a year, uh, this sentence will yeah. be out of the, out of like, the write-up next time. What are you like, doing? What are you doing to protect it? And like well, I said, does anybody believe that that, is, that right is currently safe right now? That, right. Like the rights of LGBTQ. What are you doing? Are safe, right? What like, are you doing? You're just still for it. Yeah. Well, you're still supposedly for like abortion rights as well fuck yeah. you doesn't matter <laughs> yeah okay you're for it like in the way i'm for it and <laughs> that it means nothing yeah in the actual like well, that is stuff, the right? very interesting thing about this article is that to keep in mind that this is a fucking sitting congressperson writing this mm-hmm. um okay okay but but brian sure we've been but the largest achievement of all is not just another item in a laundry list of legislative and executive actions which i won't bother to list here <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> like uh, you know oh yo there's this oh uh, it's not just a the laundry list of 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 successful legislation and executive actions that you you all know oh you know the stuff you know <laughs> we could be no, up no, no, here no. all day talking about that it's <laughs> it's the fundamental shift in economic policy that has occurred in the past two years oh Interesting time frame. That's I guess she's talking about the uh, you know basically the uh, the Biden administration. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, we had a long discussion, uh, a multi episode discussion about the inflation panic the Democrats were rousing for the Biden administration, where we proposed that actually nothing's changed as far as the status quo on uh, economic policy in fifty years. But I'm encouraged to hear Pramila's uh you know uh to see where we disagree I guess. well like that's that's gonna be the real question here are we proposing a change or are we pro- celebrating the status quo see if you can figure it out by <laughs> by what she's written Greg, here sometimes the most radical thing you can do is fall in line yeah um if you sort through the more than 300 bills signed into law by President Joe Biden, a trend line emerges. Yes. I mean, that, this yeah. is some, wow, yeah. I am on my way to being convinced of something. <laughs> well, this is definitely, you imagine? when you really have something to be proud of, this is definitely how you present us. This is <laughs> the most convoluted, <laughs> like, bullshit. If you sort through all those, again, that laundry list, if you saw it, sort through it, as in, don't, don't, don't go look. You know, it's so much. It's so much. You're not going to want to look. Too many pages. You know, you will find that a lot of it is bullshit and doesn't matter. But but if you were to, the best she can say is a trend line emerges. So she's identifying a trend line, a a line plotted through these dots all over the graph. OK, this flurry of legislation show, uh, shows a transformational change in economic thinking. So right totally. here, it sounds like. We are celebrating a change that's already happened. Okay. It's the end of Reaganomics, neoliberalism, and trickle-down economics. And <laughs> the, be- the beginning of implementing a theory of government's role in fostering strong and equitable growth that we will call Bidenomics. I, I, by, by which she means we will call for the purposes of this editorial. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Th- I mean... It's just like, let's just skip over the lunacy of like it's the end of Reaganomics, which I mean, yep. you know, you spent some time recently uh, discussing how uh, Reaganomics is actually uh, Carternomics, yeah, uh, and also Clintonomics. It's all the same fucking thing. But yep. but setting you know that aside, like, does she think she works for a think tank? Yeah, yeah. What is she doing here? She's trying to sell us on this thing that she says if you if you open your third eye to the data that's hidden in the legislation, you know? Like, she doesn't, she, she looks at all those bills, and man, she doesn't even see gridlock and, and uh, a, you know, a failure for bipartisan com- uh, compromise. She just sees Bidenomics. Mm. Well, I mean, it's interesting to, uh, to push for this label as well, because one of the things that happened this past month is obviously the Biden administration from the very beginning 
uh, pursued the Reagan and Carter era tactic of using monetary policy to fight inflation and to lower wages and hurt worker bargaining power, right? Yeah, by what is more Reaganomics than fucking but, but than doing the Volcker shot? Yeah. You know, but in the middle of a pandemic, I mean, uh, not caring about the pandemic or who dies. But this is all very Reagan era stuff. But but the thing is, is that uh, this last month, jobs, new unemployment claims finally went up. And when you were listening to, you know, various economic uh, reports and stuff of this, uh, you know, marketplace and stuff like that, they were doing the reports on this. The giddiness was barely contained from the commentators of like, we're finally getting people unemployed. Like we're finally pushing people onto the unemployment rolls. We're finally getting to the point that we might start breaking the back of this new upsurge in labor bargaining power. Right. And uh, again, I don't know that you want to label what's going to be happening over the next two years by dynamics, just as somebody who wants to win elections. I mean, right? just, like, you know, jump people are going to label it that anyways, but you don't have to help them. I know. Right. But like, I, I think, we should, you know, just to like jump ahead, basically, I think what she's trying to do here, she's talking, she is like a, like a think tank, mm-hmm. like ta- trying to sell a program to the Biden administration and the Democrats Going like, look, no, no, no. We, you did this handful of okay, good things that we'll get to hilariously. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's call. Let's let's get behind. Let's keep doing that. But it's like it's so limp. It's yeah. so weak. Like as we'll see here. Um, the basic economic in- indicators show a glimpse of what Bidenomic has brought to America. We've created a record twelve million new jobs in two years. Wrong. Wrong. I mean, you know, I mean, like the, the that one's so funny because it's like, or uh, large sections of the economy shut down because of COVID. We didn't maintain people's employment like they did in many European countries by just telling everybody, no, keep everybody on their job roles, right? On your job roles, right? And we'll the state will subsidize that, right? Instead, the United States told employers, fire all your employees, and we'll just put them on this enhanced unemployment. And then they'll come back. And it's like, you don't get to take credit for those jobs coming back. Uh, and by all indications, I don't think the job count is higher than it was in 2019. So it's not like new jobs actually got created. It's just... Well, and now they're the, going down again, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, then wrong time to post this article because the trend's going the other direction right now. But like, uh, again, it's like, that was just a weird circumstance that whether Trump had gotten reelected or not would have happened no matter what. Again, I mean, this is not a Biden policy. This is just a fact of the economics of the United States and a policy that was chosen before Biden was elected, which was instead of keeping people on their employment roles to tell employers to fire everybody and lay everybody off. You know, like we're just seeing the end result of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, and yeah, also a bunch of people died. Yeah, she's going to mention the unemployment being at its lowest rate and whatever. One, Biden's actively working to change that. Uh, but, you know, also, that's because, yeah, at this point, the official numbers are well over a million people killed in the United States uh, by the pandemic response. And, I mean, I think it is safe to say at this point that's probably a massive undercount. We're probably yeah. talking two million plus. No, it's definitely you know. two million plus, um, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so it's like that's that's a big thing about you know the reduced unemployment is that killed a bunch of people yeah (laughs) that's more job creation in two years than any other president has ever overseen in four years okay yeah we bounced back from you know somewhat yeah the unemployment rate is not only at a 50-year low of 3.4 again which the Biden administration working against we are reaching Record low unemployment for black and Latino workers. Wages for hourly workers have increased as inflation has fallen in each of the last six months. So the thing is here, she's, again, like an activist or a think tank, is trying to sell the Democrats on this economic policy that they are actively not doing, mm-hmm. but that she can kind of pin, as we'll see, on a few things that they kind of did do over two years with a gun to their head because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But can't, but, you know, the the only, like, politics available to her is, like, is this encouraging ass-kissing, right? This, yeah. like, like, uh, and this is from someone who's in Congress. She, she could be out here 
promoting a radical platform of saying like this, what we've turned away from, you know, what we're going to get to. Well, like, let's just go on because like the shit she cites here is like <laughs> fucking incredible. Uh, for decades, U.S. economic policy has been dominated by the dogma that paired aggressive deregulation and disastrous trade deals with tax cuts skewed to the wealthy and big corporations as a mean means to achieving progress. <laughs> Good okay, thing so, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> so like, okay, obviously those are democratic like policies, disastrous trade deals. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, she did, she, Jayapal did oppose, oppose the TPP. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that was a democratic administration, Obama administration, like policy goal yeah. in an administration where Biden was the vice president. Yeah. Um, uh, supported course, heavily by his Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who's you know another big name in the Democratic Party. But yeah, like like uh, NAFTA was Clinton. Like the um, so okay again, she is saying we're we're doing something different here. But it's like, but you can't. That this is the the dead end here, right? Mm-hmm. Of not of not of it, it's ho- it's hopelessly pointless to have this conversation within the Democratic Party. Like yeah, or if you're going to like, but. Or and not even have it, not even come out and say like, "Look, this is bad." Yeah, these are the good things we can do. But say no, 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 no. We 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 kind of are doing the good things. Let's let's keep doing that. Um, in this flawed model, the private sector alone was capable of forging economic success, and the market would be left to correct everything. Government intervention was minimized, and the invisible hand of the market was given free reign. Hey, all all bad stuff. This approach focused on achieving short-term growth levels that ended up being unsustainable on multiple fronts, whether that meant hollowing out our domestic supply chain, fostering the wholesale transfer of jobs from industrial America to other countries and driving down wages or destroying our environment. The, quote, supply side, unquote, economics of neoliberalism and trade deals like NAFTA destroyed manufacturing jobs, unions, and affordable higher education that would lead to a path to prosperity for rural areas and people of color. Now, that's all very interesting. That's a, a very mm-hmm. sort of simplistic critique of Democratic Party neoliberalism. Yeah. Like, but, you know, she set up that the thing she's proposing here is a thing that is happening called Bidenomics. So yeah. I would love to know how Biden, the president, mm-hmm. who is, you know the avatar of Bidenomics, like, is doing anything about any of those things? Yeah, well, I guess that's just so confusing reading this, is who's the audience, right? And what are they supposed to take out of it? And so if the audience is, you know, Joe P. listener, right? Or Joe P. public, right? Reading this editorial in the Seattle Times, right? I, I imagine most of them reading this, like, yeah, that's still the case. Like, uh, yeah, this idea that, we just let the free hit of the market do whatever. Deregulation is the norm. Corporations don't pay taxes. Like they're probably reading that going, wait, did that change at some point? Are we arguing this has changed? Because or- I just heard about a, a giant train crash and fucking, you know, in Pennsylvania that's like killing a bunch of people and nobody can do anything about it because that would be stepping on like a private equity firm's feet. I you mean, know, like- I've, I've been thinking this is like being targeted at the White House itself and the Democratic Party, but maybe it's more cynical than that. Maybe this is just politics. This is just like election politics of like, yeah, look, you're a Democrat. So am I. So is Joe Biden. And yeah, yeah, he's for all this stuff. Uh, and it's just yeah. a lie. You know, Yeah, because I mean, the thing is, too, about the stuff about, you know, wages and unemployment and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, the White House has directly said that wages have gone up in the service sector. They've they pointed out that the lowest end of the wage scale, there has been improvement. And they have worked diligently since they got in office to destroy that and reverse it. And they actually kind of have, you know? And again, if you're somebody who works in those fields, if you're thinking about it, you're like, my life really hasn't gotten better in the last year. It's probably gotten worse. We know that lending rates have gone up amongst that population, meaning their sort of savings to debt has completely reversed from the pandemic years when they were getting checks and increased unemployment and things like that. It's completely reversed, which means that everybody's in much more dire financial straits than they were before. So again, reading this, it's just like, what the fuck is the crazy lady talking about? (laughs) Like, what is happening right now? What is she talking about? I just don't know what this is supposed to be telling us or who is supposed to be reading it. Like, what are you supposed to get out of this? I don't know. The inevitable economic divide then grew into societal and political catastrophe, the result of significantly inequitable outcomes from child and rural poverty to 
to overwhelming wealth gaps for black, brown, and indigenous people. We blame, were blamed on those individuals or communities. Instead of a society founded on American ideals of freedom and prosperity, our values were flipped, and the idea of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps came to mean that if your family didn't thrive or even just survive, it was that you didn't try hard enough or that an immigrant was taking your job. That's literally what that statement has always meant. The statement itself is a joke. Like, it's always meant that if you're doing bad, it's your fault personally. What the fuck is she talking about? Yeah, not... What, is, what has changed? I guess that's what I don't understand. What has changed in any of these, like, schemas that she's, like, laid out here? She's basically like, here's a horrible thing, but luckily uh, that's changed. Or it changed to this bad thing from what it was in the past. And it's like, but in all these cases, everything you're talking about is exactly the same as it's always been. It's nightmarish, yeah. It's awful, yeah. But it's exactly the same as well, it's always been. Well, let's let her get to that. Let's let her tell us how it's changed. She's setting She's setting this up. You yeah, know, sure. this is the bad times. Yeah, yeah. And then came Bidenomics, okay? Yeah, for sure. Rural areas and old manufacturing towns lost jobs, population, and hope. Even thriving urban areas pushed out people of color and poor people through gentrification. Put the past tense there. My God. Yeah, yeah. I was glad that it stopped. Like, what the fuck? Aberdeen's doing about? great. Okay, but <laughs> again, because if you were trying to, you know, uh, act on a radical program here, you would just be, you wouldn't, this wouldn't be in the past tense. Mm-hmm. You would just be saying, this is happening now. This is what we can do against it, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's because of how she wrote it. The premise is all the bad things she's saying. To me, the read your and I and I granted I think it's very convoluted and hard to actually understand what she's saying here. Uh, but to me, when I read it, what she's saying is, well, that's how it was until Biden came in and Bidenomics, right? The problem being that any normal person reads is like, no, all those things are still happening. I like think, nothing stopped. I think she's. I think what she wants, the impression she wants to give, but is too hemmed in by the nature of her politics and the Democratic Party to just say even this bit of extreme weakness out loud is like the, yes, America sucks. It has been a catastrophe. Now the, there are ideas available to us that we could change with, Mm -hmm. you know, we could use it. And I'm trying to, you know, force the hand of, you know, we, we could change them. She's saying we could change them, but she can't say that. Yeah. She has to say because she's so there's this um there's this perspective shift happening in this rhetoric where it's like you're talking about the material realities of the past and the political ideals of the present that she's insists and that 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 like phase shift is happening between here, you know, mm-hmm. between past and present, so that she's not acknowledging that the material realities are the same, but but what she's concerned about in the present is the ideals, the political idealism of Bidenomics as yeah. an available political project. The problem with that is, obviously, that sleight of hand is sort of annoying and, and cowardly and pathetic, but it's also this, 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 it's also, this is also just false. This yeah, idea, it's badly this, not true. This, wow. None of this is real. Um, so combined with corruption of money in politics and increasing polarization, these, these divides led to a fundamental lack of faith that government would ever work for the people. Bidenomics, this thing I'm making up, seeks to reverse these trends on all fronts and is premised on three core ideas to build an economy that works from the middle out... <laughs> <laughs> from the middle out and the bottom up okay um <clears throat> okay so we're gonna this the specifics it's a three-point oh, plan thank god i was worried that this was just gonna remain in intentionally vague uh generality remember this and, is and uh non-temporal language <laughs> this is what she is asserting <laughs> bidenomics is not what it could be or should be what which is, is what you might how you might phrase like a political program that mm-hmm. wasn't currently being enacted, but but no, what it is, which I think is her way of saying, let's make this the Democratic Party. Okay, first, Bidenomics embraces that government is the greatest equalizer of opportunity as no other entity can be, and that many of the gaps in economic justice and racial justice are from past bad policy choices and therefore can be fixed by different policy choices. Okay, if you take off Bidenomics embraces. Yeah, yeah. And just 
read that as a statement of hi- the history of the United States. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and therefore, oh, wait, no. Second, we implement smart government. There's, so this is, um, I, I, what part of speech is this? Like, <laughs> what, what tense? We, second, we implement. So first, Bidenomics embraces. Second, we implement. Okay. When? Yeah, yeah. When? Uh, we having have implemented, implemented something would be nice. Yeah. But no, again, this is, if we did this Bidenomics thing I'm talking about, <laughs> we would, is I think the implication. We would implement smart government policy that incentivizes private and public investment in key sectors. Okay, so... So, so throw neoliberalism out the window. No more Reaganomics. What we need is public... Private partnerships. partnerships. Yes. The cornerstone <laughs> of neoliberalism, public private partnerships. Okay. Yeah. That have obviously worked so well up to this point, and I'm sure if we hit the button again, we'll have it again. Or even if it's not in the rubric of yeah. the, the canned fucking the the you know, the private par- uh public partnership. Really she is talking about incentivizing private investment. Now she says yeah. public investment in key sectors as well, but like all all we've done. For forever is incentivize fucking private investment. Yeah. The, 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 if you want to change inequality in this country, you need to remove, like, you need to replace private investment in a lot of key sectors with public investment. Yeah, and the thing is, is that over the last 50 years, there has been public investment in various key sectors, right? There has been a Keynesianism of finance capital, right? Yeah. Like, we have dumped literal trillions of dollars into the finance sector. We've dumped hundreds of billions of dollars into, say, the real estate sector and things like that. The problem is is how you do that and who you give the money to, right? So we've invested infinitely more money into private real estate than we ever did into public housing, right? Yeah. And we've produced infinitely less housing, <laughs> poor people in the process, right? As well as uh, facilitated the skyrocketing of asset prices, which has made the homelessness, you know, catastrophe in the United States worse and worse and worse every single year, right? And it's like, that was a public investment into the private sector, right? A public investment in the private sector that had a very specific class character. And the thing is, at no point is she suggesting that we change that. Right, that we change the class character of how we use federal money. Because federal money does get spent. It is not true that the federal government has disappeared. Like, we spend lots of money every year on lots of things, right? The question is, who gets the money? Ryan Platt, government debt warrior over here. Um, (laughs) Okay, so second, we implement the government policy incentivizes from blah, 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 investment key sectors from jumpstarting our green energy capacity to reviving industrial manufacturing in communities long forgotten by policymakers. Love to see that happen. So, Trump promised that too, by the way. So she's, <laughs> she, this is like a, this, she's holding up a voodoo doll of yeah. Biden. Yeah, yeah. And like trying to like cast a spell on it. Yeah. Like this, yes, this is a thing that is going to happen under the rest of Biden. Well, and I think we, now that we've lost, the fucking control of uh, Congress. I think that this has been part of our like five hour off mic sessions where we have all our best conversations before recording. Um, but yeah, when every president says that we're going to revitalize manufacturing for the last 50 years, right? Trump said that too, right? That was a big part of his platform, yeah. his national platform. Uh, Biden has certainly said that as every president said it. And he's even cited examples like his, uh, you know, semiconductor act or whatever, where they just dumped a bunch of money into, you know, uh, tax breaks for semiconductor. It is very funny because there's been a lot of news about that lately because, of course, we're all game theorying uh, the war with China that we all know is coming, or at least the U.S. seems desperate to make happen. And um, all that money that he dumped into that, stolen. Literally none of it has amounted to anything. Like, there's been multiple reports now that come out a year later after that basically being like, yeah, it's just all gone. Because that's how, that's how, if you want to try, <laughs> what's available to is, right, is this encouraging private investment by subsidizing it, as she's saying. Yeah. And what that means is you give money to these, to private companies to do this thing you want to put as a lever in the economy. And what they do is try. Yes, yeah. They come, they, they take your money and they say, 
Well, we tried. Um, you know, this is as far as we've gotten. Uh, I don't know. What, do you want us to keep going? You want us to issue another? You want to give us more money, or should we just shit can the whole thing? You know? Yeah. I mean, we've had a falling rate of profit manufacturing endemic for sixty years, right? And so it means that no company really wants to invest in productive capacity, right? And what they end up doing. So when you offer just tax incentives, right? You know, uh, grants, things like that. What a company ends up doing, instead of building a semiconductor facility, what they do is they build a department of six or seven people who are really good at writing grants. They're yeah. really good at figuring out how to seize those tax incentives. And that's all that ever gets done. They get the money. They use it for stock buybacks, which is all any American corporation does for anything. And, and because there's that, never any strings really attached to yeah, this shit. Exactly. Otherwise, it wouldn't... There's no way to do... That's what, like... A subsidy is right. Mm -hmm. It's not this. It's not like they're buying the product from them, right? To where you might. I mean, God, in, in military contracts, though, that is what they're doing. They still yeah. sell them garbage. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, like we're we're on year twenty four for the uh, refueling tanker that Boeing's building for the Air Force. Yeah. You know, uh, so none of these things ever have to get built. You know, and private companies, it's like taking the money and just throwing it into a hole. Okay, so anyway, we're we're in reviving industrial manufacturing in communities long forgotten by policymakers in our mind palace. <laughs> uh, and third, we assert that government must take on regulation of market forces that have stymied competition and benefited giant corporations while hurting workers, consumers, and small businesses. So at this one, at least, she clarifies, we assert yeah, yeah. that we should do this. That's... So Bidenomics is this thing. Who's we here? I yeah. guess anyone who signs on to the Bidenomics platform, including hopefully Biden himself. Yeah. <laughs> to And then they will assert that. Yeah. Incredible. So those are the three planks. <laughs> I mean. Okay. So we've got, we've got the three. There's still a lot more specifics to this article, Brian. Okay. There's a lot more. Like nitty gritty detail, like touting accomplishments, sharing them also. Yeah. Uh, laundry lists. Um, but uh, I think we're going to take that behind the paywall. So, yeah. you know the drill, everybody. If you're not yet subscribed, go to patreon.com slash mechanical freak. Subscribe and uh, fast forward to this time in the, the newest episode to hear the rest of this. To all of you who are already listening on the Patreon, uh, Let's not waste any time. Let's get back into this. Thank you.